Welcome back to another episode of the Whole Brother Mission podcast. As I'm recording, here's the latest that I have on DMX. So my understanding is that he did suffer a heart attack and is, has been hospitalized. And his, his lawyer went on television to say that he was off of life support and doing better and breathing on his own. But then he later recanted those remarks and said that DMX is still on life support. Uh, the actual latest article I've heard, seen as of today is that he is declining. Uh, but we definitely want to send thoughts and prayers uh, toward his family and him specifically. Uh, DMX is, is treasured by many for his for his music and uh this is obviously a difficult situation for not just only the fans of his but him and his family he's been very transparent in terms of his journey as a man and as a father gone on different tv shows shared on different podcasts and we'll get into some of that today but he's he shared quite a bit he's been both transparent and vulnerable which are things that i would applaud and uh recommend that other men begin to adopt because there is some strength and vulnerability that I think many of us don't take advantage of, but he, he did and has made progress over the years. And, you know, I don't have all the details in the situation, but I do know that, that when it comes to drugs and the story is that the, he, he, he was the victim of an overdose, uh, when it comes to drugs, uh, it's, it's a complex relationship that we as a community have with it. Uh, we have different ideas of what's bad, what's acceptable, and so on and so forth. And that's what I wanted to get into today, uh, our community's relationship with drugs, but uh, using as a springboard DMX's story. So I didn't, I knew about his, his fight with drugs but I didn't know about his, his introduction to, to more hard drugs. So I have here, this is a clip from uh, Talib Kweli's podcast. Uh, I believe it's called The People's Party. And here's DMX sharing on an experience that changed him dramatically. And potentially this is what could have opened the door to uh, a life of battle with drugs and or addiction. A theme of my life is blessed with the curse. And the curse aspect of it was, um, like I said, I was, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't smoke cigarettes, I didn't smoke weed, I didn't, I didn't do, I didn't do anything. I'm 14 years old. And, um, me and my man went to a robbery one night and it was his birthday and we came back and we, we spent the money. I said, hey, you know, take this, go get something. Might as well be a birthday, whatever. So he came back with a blunt rolled up, and as I'm counting the money, he likes the blunt. And I said, I, I was impressed. Oh, I don't really smoke, nigga. Fuck out of it. And he passed the blunt around, and um, wow. Focus on the money. It, 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 I never felt like it's like it, it just fucked me up. I'm like, the fuck. And, um, I later found out that he uh, he laced the blood with with, with crack. Mm. My thing. 
why would you do that to a child? Right. And this nigga, like, like, like 30, you know what I'm saying? And he, and he knew how I looked up to him. Yeah. Mm. He knew how I looked up to him, you know what I'm saying? And, like, why would you do that to somebody who looks up to you like that? You know what I mean? Hmm. Take your time, brother. Um, the monster was born. Hmm. The monster was born. I mean, and um, like, like I, I wouldn't do that to my worst enemy. I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. I mean, like I said, especially to someone that you supposedly love. Yeah. Why would you do that? Why would you, why would you do that? You know, right. I put that in one of my songs called Pain. Uh, I smoke crack at 14 for the first time. Give it to me. You know, this is a lot, and I want to be... I want to be careful uh, in addressing some of the topics today as it relates to DMX, but also uh, generally speaking about uh, the black community. So he made it very clear that his his blunt was laced with, with crack. And it was done by someone that he trusted. And he says from there a monster was born. And that potentially could have been what have led to uh, him not being able to live his life to the fullest, his, his battle with drugs, it damaging other relationships. And potentially now, I'm hoping for the best that he's able to come out of his current situation. But from the reports that have been given to us, uh, there were drugs related to why he's in his current state. Uh, an overdose led to a heart attack. And now my understanding is that he's in a vegetative state. So first, I want to deal with, obviously, the compassion side of it. Uh, once again, thoughts and prayers, and this shows us the severity of drugs and the different ways that they can impact the body and take away from your lived, your lived experience, the quality of your life. Uh, I've heard many describe drug addiction as more so surviving than living, just getting by, but not actually living or thriving, uh, but just kind of existing and getting by. And just because someone's alive doesn't mean they're living a quality life. And my understanding is drugs can, you know, take away from your lived experience tremendously to the point where you're just kind of floating through life, uh, trying to get by or, or chasing another high or experience. And it's personal for me because, uh, I think that as a community, when we look at things like this, uh, there's typically an outpouring of love and support. Uh, DMX has been trending uh, ever since this news came out. Everyone's showing love to him, posting clips like the clip where he performed and it looked like half the world was there. This performance he did outside and different songs. And now even this interview clip that I just shared with you uh, has come to the light because all the eyes are on him and people in droves are supporting him and speaking highly of him. And that's great. And there's also this uh, collective grief as it relates to what's going on. Like, this is so sad. This is so unfortunate. This is so terrible. But in this moment, I would like to challenge us to a, a newfound perspective that won't necessarily change the decisions that people make related to drugs. But then again, they might. Uh, but how we respond to some of these things before they get to this extreme point, I think is important. 
for us to discuss. So I'm, I'm getting to that. So as I said, it's personal for me. I've shared in quite a few interviews in my book, Whole Brother, The Bunk of the Mist to Break the Black Family, that my father uh, has and does struggle with uh, drug addiction, right? And it's pretty much destroyed our relationship and his life. And the unfortunate reality is some of the things that I am concerned about, or one thing in particular, is that he may die alone. That because of his addiction, he's damaged most of his relationships. Uh, the closest would be myself, my older brother, my mother, his ex-wife, and his his sister, um, and his his sisters and his brother, and um, he's damaged most of those relationships, and uh, it's just kind of looking like it's at a point as the son, it's at a point where we know the call could come any day that he has had a similar situation to DMX where, all right, this is about to be it. And I haven't talked to him in a while. You know, I've been in a position where I've had to uh, block him because of some of the toxic behavior and statements. But uh, <clears throat> I know that in his case, it began with the introduction from somebody else. Um, and I know that there's a difference between how we perceive weed and how we perceive crack. And my understanding is in my... Uh, father's case he tried it as a teen as a as a young person and then he spiraled i have two other family members who i know uh had the exact same scenario as uh dmx where they were just doing weed but they ended up getting weed that had something else in it and that opened up a door um where they began to spiral for a while one of them has since passed and the other has recovered and is no longer uh, dependent or battling with drug usage. But I think that we have to consider weed a bit differently. Uh, and I know this is unpopular, but uh, we have normalized smoking weed and haven't really had much of a community conversation about the impacts uh, and the vulnerability that you're putting yourself in uh, when you get it. So some things that I don't think we consider is one, the illegality of it. Uh, we encourage and don't think that poorly, or there's not much of an issue when it comes to weed, but let's look at the average, <clears throat> you know, my focus is black men, black families, the average black guy, uh, that does smoke weed typically starts as a teenager, as a minor, similar to DMX. And many of us that do smoke are getting it just from our local weed man who really, you know, you're putting a lot of trust in him to trust that he's giving you something that's not tainted. Uh, DMX has someone that he trusted and he described as a mentor that broke trust by giving him something that was laced. So one, there's the vulnerability of getting something that's passed off to you from someone who you really don't know can verify the purity of what you're getting Two is the illegality of it many of us uh many people that smoke weed are doing it um with the understanding that in their state it might be illegal and there is some consequence that may come with that um depending on 
the laws in that area. And most are just trying to just willing to, to go to, to go with whatever comes with that. They're just smoking and, you know, I'll, I'll deal with the consequences later. Um, I'm Olivia Morgan, intake coordinator here at the Whole Brother Mission. I'm here to pass on a little information about how you can join us in helping men in need seek licensed professional counselors nationwide. Number one, ask. Ask if your employer participates in matching donations. Many employers will match your gift to a nonprofit. We are a 501c3, so all gifts are tax deductible. Number two, pass. Pass this video as well as our website onto others so that they are aware of our services and our need of support. And number three, give. If you're able to, please consider giving. The proceeds remove barriers for men seeing a culturally competent mental health professional, and they support our upcoming HBCU book tour. Thank you for your time. In addition to that, I know that the, <clears throat> the argument would be there's hard drugs, but then there's weed and weed is more acceptable. Um, and I'm not even trying to get into all that, but I'm getting more so into the, the reasons that we're using it. I wrote in my book that almost 100 percent of the people that I know that smoke weed are um, dealing with some level of unresolved trauma, whether there was sexual abuse, physical abuse, verbal abuse, uh, broken hearted due to some situations, a loss, a tragedy. There's always a story behind it, but we never get to that because we've normalized it and just kind of made it a social thing. But I hate the fact that because it's, weed has become so normal in our community, we don't deal with the, the reasons why people are running to it. Um, and one, as I mentioned, a lot of times it has to do with trauma or some level of unresolved issue that may be rattling off in their head. And a temporary fix is to get high as to not deal with what's going on. And you got to keep going back because you've never resolved the issue. You just distracted yourself for a period of time. In addition to that, uh, many people in our community, I can speak on this personally, many black men are depressed. But they're not seeking out mental health professionals to get a diagnosis. They're just using weed to cope. So for years, they go in these cycles of extreme to not as extreme depression or more and are using weed to cope with it because we think that I, I'll take care of this myself. Um, and weed does play a part in uh, support for mental health services, but you have to go through the proper channels to get that in this proper dosage and so on and so forth. But most of us, I can't say most, many of us are not going that route. It's just kind of this self-soothing aspect. And I'm not big on pharma. I'm not trying to say they can save us, but I'm just saying from a community perspective, uh, we've normalized something that has long-term effects that could be damaging beyond what DMX has even explained. Uh, I think we need to dig deeper into why we're using different substances and be practical about, is this even smart? Is it smart to be trusting your weed man who's in what may be in a worse off situation than you to give you a substance that you then put in your body and you don't know what's going to happen until it happens? I know quite a few stories of people that uh, have smoked weed that was laced with something else and then 
never haven't been normal ever since. They have not been normal ever since. And some would describe it as they lost their mind. But it has severe effects uh, when it obviously another drug is is put into the picture. So we're, I'm not necessarily saying weed is as bad as harder drugs. But what I am saying is there's that potential of something else being in there that could have ramifications that you wouldn't imagine. Uh, and then when that does happen, we cry and we're distraught and, oh, how could this happen? But a lot of times if we look back, it's very clear how some of these things happen. When we get to the point of tragedy, there are several signs along the way that we ignore. Uh, once again, I made a point to say in my book that most of the people that I know that smoke weed, if not all, have some level of unresolved trauma. I want them to deal with that trauma rather than looking for an escape uh, because the trauma will end up taking hold of them in the long run. Uh, so this whole putting a Band-Aid on a stab wound approach is not helpful for us as a community. Uh, through proper channels, incorporating weed into your life may be helpful. Um, but that's not the approach that many are taking. It's the get it off the street route. And there's so much danger there, but we've normalized it. Uh, in addition to that, there's this example that I, I thought of. Uh, more recently, uh, The Breakfast Club, like the number, number one hip-hop radio show in the country right now, they had a doctor on a while, uh, about a month ago. His name was Dr. Carl Hart. Uh, he's a professor at a school in New York. I think it's Columbia. Um, and he wrote a book about drugs. And he went viral for an article and then they invited him on the show. And he basically is arguing that people use drugs. People use hard drugs. We can't stop them from doing that. But what he's saying is, I think there's a way for us to help these people who are going to use the drugs regardless if we, one, create places for these adults to test their drugs to make sure the dosage is right and that there is nothing else in that they're not ex expecting to be in there. He thinks that uh, it can be done under certain circumstances in a healthier way. Now, obviously... Uh, he got a lot of pushback because many of us know similar stories to my dad, to DMX, to the others I, I referenced. The black community responded viscerally to him because it's like, bro, don't normalize drug usage. Um, but I, I do get the point that he's saying that some people are going to do it regardless. So if they are, let's try to create another barrier that may or another avenue that may help them to do so in a not as dangerous way. Of course, it's ideal if no one used it. Uh, he might disagree with that statement, though. That's where the issue comes, because he uses himself as well. But uh, he uses drugs, gets them internationally, and has several channels to process his drugs that others don't. Uh, so I think that's where the issue came in, is that he uses personally and recommend recommends it to a certain extent under certain circumstances, whereas most of us are just kind of like, don't do nothing at all, ever. Uh, but... The interesting thing I found from that interview with the Breakfast Club is the critique was, hey, man, we don't the hosts were saying, I don't think that you should normalize drug usage. And he would argue back, well, I'm not trying to encourage people to do it. I'm just saying adults that are going to do it. Here's some systems that we should put in place. Uh, but they they argued that, man, you're normalizing, you're encouraging drugs. And I don't want 
to encourage people to do that. I don't want to uh, promote that. And I thought to myself, that's so interesting because this number one hip hop radio show, The Breakfast Club, uh, I would say maybe 70 plus percent of the guests that they have on the show are current or former drug dealers, uh, rappers. Um, and if they aren't actually, uh, if they're not in the street selling drugs, they're promoting drug usage or selling drugs in their music. This is a big part of hip hop. So it was interesting that this newfound morality came when this doctor was talking about drugs under certain circumstances. And the response was, I don't want to promote that, but we promote it so much in our community. Uh, the music is in many cases about drug. It used to be more so about selling drugs and being the cool guy in the neighborhood, but now it's about using it. Um, Future is, you know, really known for the whole Molly Percocet thing and Dirty Sprite and so on and so forth. So this has become normal in our community. And I think it's something that we need to push back on. Why? I'm not the person that is expecting artists to raise my children. Uh, so I'm not tripping on Lil Nas X's video, Cardi and Meg or Future, uh, because my perception is that's adult content that was meant for a specific audience. If you don't want your kids to consume that kind of content, then it's your responsibility to protect them from all that's out here or to explain it in a way that they can understand. I'm not trying to get artists to accommodate my personal <laughs> parenting goals. However, I do think that the reality of the situation, and I've seen this as a younger black male, so many of us are not anchored in who we are, whether your dad is in the home or not, you end up figuring out how to be a man or who women want you to be from hip hop because of the guys that get attention. I spoke also in my book about how I think Lil Wayne raised a generation of black men because he was that guy, the best rapper alive for a moment. And he was getting a lot of attention from women. So many times we end up doing stuff just because it looks cool and we don't know who we are. So in order to be accepted by the masses, we model ourselves after people who were getting that attention and uh, I know I may step on some toes with this, but the reality of hip hop music is many of those guys uh, come from very tragic situations and have not healed. But they're the ones that get put on this major platform. And then our black boys are taken and men are taking cues from them. So people that may not even be interested in drugs are doing it because it looks cool. People that may not have been interested in sleeping around with a whole bunch of women are doing it because that's what's being presented. That's what's being normalized. That's what's being promoted. Uh, and it's important for us to take a step back and say, do I want to stand by this or support this? I may like the music, but what is the impact of what's happening? What is the impact of music that talks about drug usage and drug selling and killing other people in your community? Uh, and as I said before, hip hop promotes not our best. The people that are being platformed in hip hop are not our best. In many cases, they are our worst. And when I say our worst, I mean, they're coming from some of the grimiest, most tragic situations. And then you put them on this nationwide platform and you give them money. I draw it back to my dad who's an addict and imagine if 
Of course, he's much older, so he probably wouldn't be the next breakout rapper. But imagine if you take him in that situation and then put him on a nationwide platform and give him money. He would destroy himself and not saying that all famous rappers or drug addicts or the current ones are drug addicts, but they are in fragile states. And I think many of them get put on a platform, get money behind them, get all this support and they're not in a healthy place. And we see over the course of their careers that they begin to spiral out of control and they destroy themselves. And that is something that we need to look into deeper. Uh, who is choosing these people? Are we plat? Is it really just that we're responding to the music and they get put on the platform? Or is this certain messaging that is being targeted toward us? And whether it's intentional or not, we have to be real about the impact that it's having on our community. I look at Kodak Black uh, getting out of jail, Bobby Shmurda just getting out of jail, uh, the, the stuff with Takashi. And, you know, most of the people that our kids are looking at have not healed. And their dependence may be on drugs. They may be living lives of crime. They still may be selling to our communities. Uh, and people who aren't healed don't need to be put on a platform just yet because that'll magnify what's already there. And I see that happening in many cases. And I, I wonder if the fame and the money hurt DMX more than it helped him. Are we platforming people too soon to the point where their fame and riches end up being their death sentence. And yes, I want people that are in the hood to get an opportunity. You know, hip hop has provided that where men that don't fit the, the mold of a professional uh, stereotypically uh, with a spotted pass can become millionaires. So I'm all about creating avenues and opportunities for black men and women to come out of a, a, a not so great situation and then create generational wealth for your, your family and do spectacular things. But at what cost, though? How many of these people are not prepared for the platform that they're on? We even consider uh, Whitney Houston and Michael Jackson, who, who died in tragic ways. Uh, you know, we look at Whitney Houston and then her daughter passed and then. Uh, so many uh, people, I think another son of Bobby Brown's passed. And, and in many of those cases, that stuff is once again tied to drugs. So I know for those that probably are smoking right now, the reaction is, well, smoking weed is not the same as crack. Yes, I understand that. But my, my point is that this dependence upon substances is opening a dangerous door. For many, it does turn into other things. And even if it's just weed, uh, long term, using that as a distraction can end up putting you in a position where you're not putting your attention toward deeper issues that we won't solve. Uh, you can't. I don't recommend smoking weed through your depression. If you go to a mental health professional and you get a diagnosis you recognize something's wrong there. And then through your treatment plan, uh, marijuana becomes an option, then so be it. But that's that's not the route many of us are taking. Uh, so I think we have to lean into what have we normalized? What have we accepted? What is the impact? 
And I would say the impact is dire. I don't think that we is helping the black community. Widespread usage of it is just making helping us do great. I see it as uh, a resource that is creating a lot of additional uh, areas of vulnerability and damage. As I mentioned before, gaining it through illegal means, getting it from a non-trustworthy source, and then using it as a distraction from deeper issues like a mental health issue or unresolved trauma. So, and then once again, <laughs> platforms magnify who you are. So uh, what may start off as just a thing I enjoy doing can turn into something more once you have uh, money and access. Uh, you might desire a greater high uh, and you have access. And that's how many uh, celebrities end up getting caught up in what, what one would say is odd drug situations because they have so much access. People are bringing things to them. Try this. Try that. Uh, but once again, that approach of distracting yourself from something doesn't end well. We have to be more direct in dealing with whatever the issue is. And that may be in therapy and counseling. That may be talking to a friend, but that's going to require you to be transparent about what's going on with you. So I would encourage you, if you are smoking out there today, uh, obviously, you know, it's understood as a problem when it is more severe drugs. But then, then again, we've normalized so many that there's other stuff beyond weed that we really don't trip on. It's like, well, that's not that big of a deal. Um, you know, if you, if you have syrup, you know what I mean? That's, that's been normalized. Uh, but the effects are dire. Uh, I don't know what he uses, but I, I remember just a week or so ago, uh, I think a week or two, uh, NBA young boy, uh, one, many people joke about how he looks in different pictures where you can tell when he's, he's on something or not. And we laugh at that. But he more recently was on live just sitting there. He was smoking and talking about I'm, I'm lost and saying I need help. Uh, and so many young black men are, are put on those platforms and they destroy themselves. Even though they're of age, they are not in a position to protect themselves properly. And these record labels are just interested in them producing money. So they come. They entertain us. They never resolve the trauma, deal with the mental health issue, deal with the addiction. And then they end up dying tragically. And that's the cycle that we see so often. And I think we we can do better. And I think let's start the conversation. We should start the conversation about uh, balance in this area. Yes, a huge platform for your music is great. But what will this do for your livelihood and your being? What will this do for our community? Uh, what does it look like to leverage the images that we have put out there? Uh, these are conversations that I think are worth having rather than just selling for the status quo. And lastly, I wanted to draw attention to Kanye West. Uh, I'll be doing a video on him soon. Uh, as we, we do know, he's had some erratic behavior over the course of some an extended time, but we also look at him as a musical genius. Uh, but it is known that he was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, yet is on this huge platform uh, and is seen as one of the best in his industry, 
uh, but so often we, we look past that diagnosis. So I want to walk us through some history there and help us to look at these people from a more compassionate lens, but also argue for a different approach uh, to taking these opportunities. There may be someone in your circle who has a talent, but also is not in a healthy spot. And taking an opportunity or a platform may be their death sentence, even though they may make money along the way. So these are things I want us to consider. Uh, thank you for joining me today. This has been another episode of the Whole Brother Mission podcast.